I want to thank you for listening today. If you have not subscribed to our podcast, please do so and feel free to rate and review us as well. If you live nearby and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come visit us here at Fellowship Bible Church in Jacksonville, Texas. You can connect with us by calling or texting CONNECT to 903-586-6520. If you would like to support the ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church, we would greatly appreciate that as well. To give one time or on a regular basis, you can text GIVE to 903 903- 586-6520. If you live a ways away, we hope you would find a good Bible-believing and preaching church in your area to join and serve in and support. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you have a great week. Well, in the late 90s, early 2000s, there was a popular docuseries that came on E! called The E! True Hollywood Story. And this show provided an in-depth look behind the scenes into the lives of some of the most popular actors and actresses, athletes and musicians to ever live. And many of the more popular stories on the show was extremely tragic. Many of those were extremely tragic. Stories of the rise and fall of Celebrities made the series extremely popular, so much so that it earned several Emmy nominations. The reason why is because, like it or not, we are drawn to these types of stories. We always have been drawn to these tragic stories. There is a reason Greek tragedy was a popular form of drama in in ancient Greek. This obsession with the tragic goes all the way back to ancient times and it continues on today. We have always been drawn to the tragic hero. There have been a number of reasons given for this, why this is the case. One belief is that learning of the tragedy in in others' lives helps us to better cope with the tragedy in our own lives. They sometimes Make us feel better, right? About our situation when we hear the horrific details of others. And they also provide us with lessons to learn from the failures of others as well. This obsession with tragedy is probably one of the many reasons people remember Samson's name and his story in the book of Judges. Many of you You might have not been familiar with Jephthah, right, or Abimelech, but how many of you have heard of Samson? You know details about his life, right? There are several reasons for this. One, Samson is a fascinating character. He really is. The details from his life are are fascinating, yet they're also extremely tragic. He is a tragic figure in Scripture. He is, of course, remembered for his incredible strength. I remember hearing stories about Samson in Sunday school and kind of picturing him like this biblical superhero, like like the Hulk or Hercules. We, We remember his story for that reason, but also for how tragic it is. His story is one of divine favor and unmatched Potential 
and also squandered opportunity, continued disobedience, and just colossal failure. His story also interests many because while it is tragic, it is also triumphant. We see God remain faithful to His people even when His chosen vessel does not remain faithful to Him. That, I believe, is the main point of Samson's story, and I hope to show you that in the next several weeks. Another reason his story sticks out to us from the book of Judges is because it takes up a lot of real estate in the book. Samson is the last of the judges in Judges, and his story continues for four chapters, from Judges 13 to Judges 16. This morning, we're going to be focused in on chapter 13, and I want you to see, like many stories of the the, the popular rise and fall of, of celebrities in our day, Samson's story, like many of theirs, it, it starts off with a promising beginning. He has a promising beginning. I want you to see that. First, he had a clear call from God. That's point number one. There was a clear calling on Samson's life. Look at chapter 13, beginning in verse 1 with me. And the people of Israel again, you say again? I say yes, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. No surprise here, unfortunately. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines For 40 years, I've told you already a few times throughout our study of this book, we will see God's people just gradually regress, drift from God, regress downward, right? They they become more and more corrupt as the book of Judges continues on. They become more wicked. They drift further and further away from God. They become less and less like God's people and more and more like their enemies. Less like the Israelites and more like the wicked Canaanites. We also witness God's punishment become more and more severe as well. Over the past two weeks, we have studied the story of Jephthah, and in that story we learn that that God's people were just immersed in idolatry, completely given over to it. We learn of seven idols that they served, and because of their wickedness, God sent them into slavery with the Philistines and the Ammonites for 18 years. And up to that point, that was one of the longest that God's people, Israel, had been enslaved to their enemies and judges until now. At the beginning of chapter 13, we learn that God's people again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and God gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. And notice here that Israel has drifted so far from God that they're no longer even crying out to Him. They're done crying out to God. They are too immersed in the godless culture of their day to see God and see their sinfulness and their need for rescue, and so they are not crying out to God. They are in a dark place. And the question we need to ask now is, what's God going to do about it? Is He going to leave them in, in the dark? Is He going to wash His hands of them? He could have done so and been completely just in doing so, but instead... We see here, God works in the midst of this dark and difficult situation through a dark and difficult people 
for His redemptive purposes. This is a glorious truth that we see play out consistently throughout Scripture and throughout church history. No matter how corrupt, get this, no matter how corrupt the culture gets, we see God faithfully at work. Amen? That should comfort you, help you sleep at night. Look at verse 2. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children, and the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman. Now let's stop there for a minute. There's been a lot made about this angel of the Lord here. There are times in Scripture where God sends angelic messengers to people to reveal His will to them. And at times, the Lord appears in angelic form to make this, this announcement here. And many, they do not believe this is an appearance of the Lord here. They argue because He refers to God and He speaks of offering a burnt offering to the Lord that this may be an angelic messenger. But there is reason here to believe that this right here is an appearance of the Lord in angelic form. I'm going to show you that later on, okay? But there is a reason that the Lord in angelic form here is speaking impersonally to these two. They are far from God, okay? They're often painted in a positive light, Manoah and his wife, but, but I don't believe we have that here at all. And I'm going to show you why. He is, he is keeping his distance from them speaking very impersonally to them, but revealing God's will. Because God's a God of grace, right? And mercy, and we see that here. But this is an appearance of the Lord in angelic form. We'll see it more in just a minute. The Lord appeared, the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, does this sound familiar, these details? It should. It should. There are several miraculous conceptions and births mentioned in Scripture. And of course, the, the, the most, the most well-known is the, the virgin conception, right? Only time that happens and, and virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to read these in your Scripture reading this week, so be sure and, and check that out. But Manoah... And his wife, they have this type of experience. God is letting us know here through these events that their son is someone special. Okay? Samson was special. This is a blessing here for Manoah and his wife to have a child. God is graciously blessing this family here in this dark and difficult time. He is also blessing a rebellious People because of who this boy will be and what this boy will do. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 4. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head for the child shall be a Nazarite to God for, from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So get this. The world is dark at this time. God's people are struggling. They're, they have drifted far from God. They're set against Him in sin. They're not seeking Him for deliverance. And the angel of the Lord appears to this, to this woman, to the wife 
of a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of Dan named Manoah. And he tells this woman who is barren, you shall conceive and bear a son and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now, why does he only begin to save Israel? Because they need more saving right after they do. They need more saving from this wicked people. They'll still be dealing with these pesky Philistines in David's day and, and beyond, right? None of the prophets, judges, priests, kings could ultimately save Israel. God's people, their salvation is not complete until the Lord Jesus Christ. More on that in just a moment. But notice the goodness and the grace of God in sending His wicked people who are apart from Him. Are they looking for God? Say no. Are they seeking Him out? Say no. We learn a lot about salvation here. Neither were you or me when God sought us out and changed our hearts and lives. They were apart from and, and opposed to Him. And He promises a Savior here. I've said already in this study that while there's a lot of focus on the, the, the sinfulness of man and the just judgment of God in Judges, this book emphasizes the amazing grace of God. We see it right here. God's people did not deserve to be saved. They deserve judgment. They were sinful. They were set against God. They were not looking for Him. They're still confused when He shows up about who He is. Yet God demonstrated His great love for His people in that while they were sinners set against Him, He sent one to begin to save them. He shows His unmerited and undeserved favor in sending them one whom He would use to deliver them from themselves and from their enemies. God's calling on Samson here is clear. There is a clear calling here from God. It's also unique. The angel of the Lord appears prior to his birth, before he is conceived. Manoah's wife is barren, no children. The angel of the Lord appears and says, you're going to have a son, and he is to be set apart for the Lord. He is to be a Nazarite. Now let's talk a little bit about what this means, the vow of the Nazarite, because it's going to come into play a lot in the next few weeks as we study through Samson's story. In the Old Testament, there was what was called a Nazarite vow. Now this vow had nothing to do with being from Nazareth, okay? There was a town called Nazareth, but this vow had nothing to do with this town, so don't confuse the two. Just because you were a Nazarene didn't make you a Nazarite. The word Nazarite comes from the Hebrew root Nazir, which means to vow something, to promise something. The word Nazarite literally means consecrated one, holy one. One who is set apart. By taking this vow, one was showing, I am totally set apart to God. It was a, a special offering, an offering of special devotion to God. An outward sign that someone was under this vow was that they would abstain from strong drink and, and anything from the vine and they would let their hair grow long so that other Jews would see them and not tempt them to violate their vow. They let their hair grow long, it was obvious. 
who was, who was under this vow, right? So they, they, they would not tempt them in this way. Wine was associated with festivity and fellowship and celebration. And a person under this vow was sacrificing, taking a break from that for a time so that they could be completely devoted to God. They were not to come in contact with the dead. Remember all of these things, okay? Because they're going to come into play in Samson's life. We're told that in Numbers 6 6 that they were not to come in contact with the dead because that would make them unclean. They were to be separated from, set apart, wholly other to God. In the Mishnah, they would only take this vow normally for just a short period of time. We learn from 30, 60, maybe even 100 days. But here in Judges 13, we have an exception. The child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. Samson was set apart from day one, before he was born, while in the womb. This is a promising beginning, right, for Samson. Clear calling on his life, but like with many tragic heroes, there are some concerns from the start. Next point. Notice that while there is a clear calling on Samson's life, there is also clear confusion over the mission God called him to. There was a clear confusion over Samson's mission. Read with me beginning in verse 6. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, so then drink no wine or strong drink, eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Let's stop here for a minute. I want you to see here some positives and some negatives here to this woman's response. First, the positive, she believed this message. She went and told her husband about it. But notice what she left out. She fails to tell Manoah an important part of this message, that their son will begin to save their people from the Philistines. She leaves out the message of the grace of God. Instead, she just focuses in on the miraculous conception and the works they must do. A very pagan response. They have been so immersed in pagan culture that they latched on to the miraculous and the fantastical in that people must do certain things to, to earn the approval of and to remain in favor with God. They had forgotten the message of God's amazing grace. He, her, her report to her husband, in that report she omits that truth that their son is to be the savior of their people. This leaves Manoah confused about who this child is and the work that God called him to. There is a confusion about their son's calling and the God who called them, right? Who will continue this work through their son. There is confusion on all of this. Professor of Old Testament at DTS, Dr. Robert Chisholm, he says this in his commentary on Judges. Look at this quote. This omission is of great significance. Samson's mother failed to communicate what was most important, her son's divinely appointed destiny. Her response 
to the angel's message foreshadows Israel's failure to recognize Samson as their God-given deliverer and Samson's own confusion about his role in life. If you ever wonder why Samson is doing what he is doing, he's confused over his mission because his parents were. He's supposed to deliver his people from the Philistines, not marry one of them. And that's what he does. He's hanging out with the Philistines. Seems oblivious to the mission. We'll see that. This confusion begins with Manoah and his wife, and it continues on to their child. Parents, it is extremely important that you know what God's Word teaches and that you pass that on to your children every opportunity you get. Or get this, their confusion will be worse than yours. Very important lesson there. Are you getting equipped with God's Word and what it says so that you can pass that on to the next generation? That's what this time is for, right here. One of the saddest things that I witness in ministry, I witness it all the time, watching people waste their lives and squander these opportunities. It's sad. They don't want to go to church. They don't want to study the Word with others and, and in their personal time as well because it's too hard. It's an inconvenience to know what God's Word is, truly says. When we dig deep, there's complaints. No, it's, it's too difficult. They'll put a lot of effort into other things, but very little into understanding what God has said. And in turn, they won't share it with anybody, and they're confused about how God wants them to live, and guess what? They pass that confusion on to those they have influence over. It happens all the time. Sad. Samson's going to pay the price. We're going to see it. He's responsible, but he's going to pay the price for this. Look at verse 8. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. Verse 11. And Manoah arose and went after his wife, and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Get this, now when your words come true, when the child is born, what is to be the child's manner of life, and what is his mission? He doesn't know, does he? Because she didn't tell him. See, Manoah is in the dark on the amazing grace of God and His great work of deliverance that He has said that He will do through His Son. The angel of the Lord had already made this known to Manoah's wife that Samson would begin to be, he would begin the work of salvation for his people. Manoah doesn't know this, which is why he says, what is his mission? The angel of the Lord has clearly answered this question in his first appearance to Manoah's wife. This meeting hardly seems necessary, right? God says it once. 
We should pay attention to it and pass it along, right? Share this message. But, but she does not, so he doesn't know what the child's manner of life should be. What is his mission? Notice the response. Verse 13, And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or small, strong drink, or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. First he says, your wife must give careful attention to everything that I have told her. In the Hebrew text, the word everything is placed in the first position in the sentence for emphasis. Emphasis is on the word everything. Your wife needs to remember everything that I told her. Then he repeats to Manoah what his wife had already told him. She is to, to not eat anything that comes from the vine or drink wine or strong drink or eat anything unclean. All that I have commanded her, let her observe. That everything in the all includes the fact that their son will be a savior for the Israelites from the Philistines. Why did this messenger purposefully veil this intention from Manoah? When he asked about the child's mission, well, we're not told specifically, but think about the context of Judges here. And think about where we are in the story. God is dealing with the people who are apart from and opposed to him and not listening to him. They're not valuing the deliverance that he's promising to bring. They're not seeking God for that deliverance. While certain commentators look to Manoah and his wife in a favorable light, I do not believe we have that here. Yes, they do certain things the angel of the Lord tells them to do like a pagan would to an idol that they are worshiping. But he remains distant from Manoah here. While God's promise of deliverance remains, he remains distant from this couple here. God is to be praised, right? Not Manoah and his wife, and certainly not Samson, for the work that he will do through Samson. Look at verses 15 through 16. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you. And prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food. He's not accepting their hospitality. That should tell you something. Other times angels did accept hospitality. Notice he tries to redirect Manoah to genuine worship of the living God. He says, But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. You see, he's in the dark, right, on, on who he is. While some commentators view this couple in a favorable light, I think what we have here is two people who perfectly represent where God's people are morally at this point in the story. Manoah doesn't know who he's speaking with, and we'll see in a moment he is still confused with whether this word will come to pass. He questions this messenger and message. We're not told this couple is seeking God for deliverance from their condition. They also are not seeking God for deliverance from the Philistines. And when Manoah's wife reports to him, she omits that important detail. We don't get the sense that their son Samson is seeking it either. Yet God still works. That's what I think you need to get from God's work in 
this story here of Samson in the book of Judges. Look at this quote from, from Chisholm. I think this is the point of the Samson narrative. Samson never gives any indication he understood himself to be Israel's deliverer. God was content to work behind the scenes delivering a people who did not seek deliverance through a deliverer who failed to see himself as such. I think that's what we have here in Samson's story. While Manoah and his wife were not seeking, nor did they understand the great deliverance that God was going to do through their son, while their son seems in the dark concerning this mission, God still shows that he is merciful and gracious and loving by providing salvation through them, though they're oblivious to it. We made this point last week when looking at the broken Savior, Jephthah, God uses unlikely people for His redemptive purposes. Sometimes it's deeply flawed people. Why does He do this? So that we can know that He is in control in the darkest and most difficult of times, even when there seems to be no one faithful. God is faithful through the unfaithful. Is that not awesome? I grew up kind of thinking, God will only use you if you're obedient to Him. No, He'll use you. You may stand judgment for the way in which He uses you, but He is to be praised for it, and He is going to accomplish His purposes, whether we're obedient or not. Now, I want to be obedient, don't you? I want Him to work through my faithfulness. I want Him to be faithfully at work through me, faithfully living for Him. But even if we do not, he's going to accomplish his purposes. That's the story of Samson. If you've ever been clueless about Samson in here, you need to view this story through that lens. God is at work in the darkest of times. And he is remaining faithful. At times, the unfaithful experience a change of heart and become faithful followers. Other times, God just uses them despite them. When times get tough and our days get dark, believers do not underestimate what God can and will do and who He will do it through. Trust in Him to work. That's the lesson here with Manoah and his wife and Samson. God is showing us how merciful and, and how gracious and loving He is. He seeks us when we did not seek Him. Amen? He saves us when we are not desiring salvation. Amen? That's our story. Romans 5.8 tells us that God shows His love for us in that while we were so desirable and wanting to be faithful, Christ died for us, right? Say no. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now while Manoah and his wife eventually received more clarity on who this messenger is, Troubling trends continue, and they remain in the dark on this mission that God will accomplish. Let's keep reading, verse 17. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. He still didn't know. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Now the word wonderful there is is a word often used of the Lord. It is a unique and divine address, okay? Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat, 
with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders, and Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. That's a good response, right? But still, notice their confusion. Verse 21. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. So notice verse 22, Manoah now knows who it is, right? They have been in the presence of God. And while this sounds like a good response, notice here Manoah's confusion still concerning the character of God. He knows it's the person of God, but he is still confused by his character. They know they've been in his presence. Why then would he doubt God's promises, which is what he clearly does here? Why would God appear to them Tell them they will have a son and then kill them for seeing him. You see that? Manoah doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. It's important once again that we learn from his mistake and we grow in our understanding of who God is so that we respond differently, so that we respond properly to God at times like this. Can we be guilty of questioning God's character and doubting His promises when we're faced with uncertainties? You better believe it, right? What's the answer? We need to grow in our knowledge of who God is from His Word. We need to do a deep dive into His perfect character and faithful works. We need to count our blessings, right? And trust in Him for what lies ahead. There are types of psalms in the book of Psalms called Psalms of Remembrance. If you're ever reading a psalm and it feels like you're getting a history lesson, that's a psalm of remembrance. In those psalms, the psalmist will include a history lesson of God's faithfulness. And the reason why is so the reader will be reminded of God's faithfulness in the past and trust in God in the present. Manoah needed reminding. So do we. His wife has a better handle on things which is probably why the Lord appears to her. Look at how she corrects her husband. Verse 23. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and grain offering at our hands, or shown us all these things, or now announced to us such things as these. That's, that's right. If the Lord had meant to kill them, he would have done it and not instructed them on the proper offering to offer that would be acceptable to him. If he was to kill them, God would not have received that offering, which he most definitely did. Manoah's wife also told him if he meant to kill us, he would not have appeared to us announcing to us these things. He would not have promised us a child if his plan was to kill us. Manoah's wife has a stronger faith in the faithfulness of God, but both continue to be in the dark about the important mission of their son. also appears as if the godless pagan influences continue to influence them even after this time. Look at verse 24. We're almost done. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. There is something to the name Samson. A lot has been said of this name. It is a unique name in Scripture. It means sun-like, S-U-N, or solar. Sun-like or solar. Some try to give Samson's parents the benefit of the doubt and put a 
positive spin on his name. His name is one of divine empowerment and deliverance. I believe his name hints at the pagan environment to which Samson was born. The sun god was worshipped in Canaan. To say your son, S-O-N, is like the sun, S-U-N, is problematic. Daniel Block, in his commentary on Judges, says, It is tempting to give the name a positive spin as a celebration of the ray of light, the birth of this boy represented in the dark days of the Judges. Some have suggested it was given in anticipation of his sun-like strength. A more common view links the name with the solar cult, which provides the background for the Samson narratives. I agree. I believe a pagan name for this chosen judge is fitting in this story. I'm about to ruin the story of Samson for you in the days ahead, so I apologize. But we're going to focus more on the faithfulness of God, amen? Which is where our focus should be always. But I'll tell you why. It properly represents... God's work in this dark and difficult time through a wayward people. That's, that's the story of Samson. They were in the dark spiritually on who God is and this mission involving his son, yet we see God continuing to work to accomplish his salvation through them. End of verse 24 and 25. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Ashtal. So we have a promising beginning for this judge, but not without concern. And in the next few weeks, we will learn more about the brokenness of this Savior. But we're also going to focus in on the amazing grace of God through this flawed vessel. As God's story continues, beyond the time of Samson and beyond the pages of the book of Judges, we see God continue to use broken people to accomplish His kingdom purposes. And there eventually comes a day when He sends one who is not broken at all, one who is perfect in every way to complete this work of rescue. In the fullness of time, God sends His Son to save. And unlike Samson and his parents, this Savior is not in the dark, on who God is and the mission that God has called him to. Amen? God does not have to use him blindly to provide salvation for his people. He knows the will of his Father, and he comes willingly, and he takes on flesh, and he lives his life in the power of the Spirit to accomplish this glorious work. And of course, I'm talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He, like Samson, had a glorious beginning. He was miraculously conceived, unlike Samson was virgin born. He, like Samson, was sent by God to save his people. He, like Samson, was arrested by his enemies. But unlike Samson, was without sin. He, like Samson, laid his life down. He, like Samson, through his death, delivered his people through his death. But unlike Samson, rose again on the third day. While Samson began to save Israel, Christ finished the saving work of God for all who believe in Him. While Samson's sacrifice was not sufficient for all of Israel, Jesus' death provided a one-time sacrifice for all time for all of those who place their faith and trust in Him alone for salvation. He is true and He is better. 
He is perfect. Our perfect Savior. The question for you today is whether you understand His work that He has done and whether you are trusting in this Savior alone for your salvation today or are you in the dark on Jesus' person and work. God has accomplished His salvation through His Son, Jesus. The way of forgiveness, sin and restoration to God has been made available to you through the life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the question I want to leave you with today is this. Have you responded to Him? Are you trusting in Him alone for your salvation? If not, that's your invitation today. I invite you to lay your life down before the King of Kings, the true Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin. Give your life up and over to Him today and be saved. Let's pray together.